welcome to the show. Thank you so much for being here. I'm so excited to talk to you today. Thanks for having me. It's so good to see you. So I have so much ground to cover, but I have to start with um, something that I've long admired about you that I feel characterizes you. So I'm going to try this on. You haven't heard this before, but I, I want to know how you react. Uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> so when I think about when I think about you and your DNA as a leader and as a marketer, I think of you consistently and fearlessly saying yes. And I feel like I, I felt that the first time we met when I think I'd reached out to you to speak at my woman's leadership event and you just you just said yes and you showed up and you crushed it. Um, but I know now recently, you know, you've spent your career in sports and sports marketing, and you also recently took on all of entertainment, which is huge. Can you tell me a little bit about, is that a fair character, characterization of your approach? Um, what else do we need to know about, you know, what it is that you say to yourself when you, when you seize on these opportunities? Yeah, I do. I think it's a fair characterization. I think I always want to be not only growing myself personally and sort of professionally, but I'm also thinking about when I'm saying yes, and in particular, this latest change, saying yes within the context of the organization that I'm leading and their growth and sort of their opportunity and their path forward. Um, and also thinking of it uh, like a shareholder. I think when I say yes, I'm always being very mindful of thinking and acting like that shareholder of our business and making sure that I'm understanding that this is something that's actually really good for the company. And doing this will then reflect results and ROI um, that will reflect good on the company, positive results, more revenue, better connections, better engagement, however that might um, come to life. And so there, I, I do think that I have definitely said no, <laughs> um, but, I, but I think about saying yes in the appropriate and proper times and in probably more often than not. Yeah, no, and, and making sure, like, that, that's a really great perspective of seeing the bigger picture. So it's almost like you're not only sort of in the moment with, with yourself and your own reaction, you're also thinking about the bigger picture and where that fits. Absolutely. Absolutely. You want to make sure that, I mean, in this position, one of the most important things that I can do is look around corners. And part of saying yes is being able to look around those corners and see the opportunity, be able to seize on it. And like I said, being able to bring that opportunity to the teams and the people that work with you and for you, um, as it's an opportunity for them to grow and them to build. Well, and as you talk about being able to look around corners, so we had a couple of intriguing corners that um, got, got turned last year that certainly changed a lot of what happened in the world. I mean, you're, you're in an intriguing position where you're both navigating culture, um, you know, marketing some of the most influential sports and entertainment programming, but you're also to some degree um, inspiring and making culture. Can you talk about how you've approached that um, in the last year and, you know, what, what it is that has really sort of driven a lot of um, your decisions, you know, throughout, throughout a lot of the change that we've just endured? Yep, I think my team hears me say sort of these two phrases or sayings a lot. I say um, structure follows strategy. And I also say the consumer is at the center of everything and the consumer has to remain at the center. And we as marketers are that chief architect of that consumer experience now and in the future. And what you're talking about, that maintaining that 
understanding of the consumer being at the center of everything you do was so important over the last 14, 16 months because as we walk down this path and we're getting ready for both entertainment and sports events and programming and, and things are coming to life, you know, when we did get into the situation where the pandemic hit, I think it, it changed things, but it also then we know now and know throughout this time period, it completely changed consumers. It completely changed their habits, their media habits, their need states, their sort of mental states, their, their wants, their desires. And so if you have that foundation as a marketer of putting the consumer at the center of everything you do, it really gives you the opportunity to be nimble, flexible, and pivot and be able to do that quickly, which is what we were able to do last year. Um, you know, not only define how we need to pivot, but in what ways we need to pivot. And I would say that over the last few months, we have really watched our marketing completely transform because we've want to maintain that sort of authenticity and that relevance in the lives of consumers. And that has such different meaning today than it did a short year ago. Yeah, I mean, it's it's incredible, like where you you couldn't really have designed it as a social experiment where you're like, all these things at once are going to change for everyone. You know? So, I mean, how has that, um, you know, as, as you think about sort of your approach and you, we've got the Olympics coming up, we have some really exciting, you know, big events coming up. How are you approaching things differently than you perhaps would have, you know, if all had gone um, to plan, you know, in, in 2020? Yes, I mean, I think the thing you mentioned the Olympics, I think that's a really good example and it's right around the corner here in just a couple of months. And, you know, in the prior question, you're talking about your approach. The one thing that I think is so important, and I know, you know we've worked with you and your team so much on this in the past has been integral to our success, is actually data and understanding data and making sure that as the consumer is at the center, that actually implies and involves that you know about that consumer through the actual first party data that you are holding and sort of in a very respectful manner around that consumer. So the Olympics was has been an incredible study in change because as we walked into the games in 2020, we had this plan, it was consumer led. We have a lot of data around our consumers as we've been gathering it around Olympic fans um, for many years around the games. And then when the pandemic hit, it was about really reaching out to consumers and understanding how is your relationship or how has your relationship with sports, entertainment, and specifically the Olympics changed. And what we found was incredible. We went in and actually, it has to go beyond the just asking people, you know, are you going to watch? Are you going to enjoy the Olympics? What do you like about the Olympics? And we spent some time in December getting into the emotional states and doing some emotional semiotics work and things that, was, that were very, very deep so that we could truly understand the changes in people's behaviors and sort of what are the needs and the values and the shared values that are more important to them. And it, it has transformed sort of the way we are looking at Tokyo over the next couple of months. You know, the idea around unity and Americana, global unity, these are things that, yes, they've been themes in the past, but wow, mm -hmm. They are themes at the forefront. The theme of entertainment and that idea of escapism, 
it, you know, it never really popped. It was definitely a value of why people came, but it wasn't at the top of the list. Now it's at the top so desperately in need for it. Yes, exactly. And so you have to have that ability to pay attention as marketers. You want to, and you really critically have to be invested in the consumer behavior every single day and understanding it to the best of your ability if you're going to serve people really well and authentically and and relevantly with their needs. No, I mean, it's, it's incredible. I think people are talking about how, you know, how much we've bottled up our desire to connect and to be together and to be inspired. So, I mean, the Olympics embodies so much of that, that uh, it, it feels like the uh, the outlet that maybe the, uh, the world needs. So it does. It feels like that moment of joy. Um, it feels almost that collective healing moment. Um, and I think when you see the Olympic content right now that we've been putting out, that's the response that we're getting, whether it's on air or digital, social, it is incredible to see people come to life around that content just right now, this far in advance of the games. Um, and we're looking forward to, you know, the Olympic trials start sort of the second week in June. June yeah. And I mean, we're expecting really great audiences to come and really um, enjoy that content because again, it's that it's that Americana, it's that unity, it's that entertainment and escapism and joy and something so positive. It feels like this next phase that we're in, right? Yeah, no, it really does. I mean, I know just from the lens of what we've observed across social media, there's just so much anticipation and and so much, uh, you know, just so much emotion that's begging to be let out, right? Um, can you talk a little bit about how are you approaching your social media strategy? I mean, the Olympics, um, a couple of Olympics ago, really got serious about social video and started putting out a lot. I think 2016 Rio was probably one of the, the big watershed moments there, but how are you approaching social this time around? Like what's what's the role do you think in the lead up? Yeah, it is incredible in the lead up. I mean, social media is going to be so critical for us for sort of getting those embers and that fire burning. And what I think social is doing, and we just saw it happen um, when we had an NFL star, Metcalf was performing last weekend in one of the track and field um, events, which was really interesting. And all of a sudden this video is millions of views a couple days later because it's that surprise and delight moment of sort of bringing an NFL athlete into the Olympic sphere. So I think that's what social is going to do over the next um, two months is it's going to grab onto those moments and those incredible sort of athletic you know, time periods in a, a trials or whether you see Simone Biles do something amazing in her gym that she performs that no one's ever seen or hasn't been done before. Those are those um, embers again that get sort of the fires burning and it gets the conversation going. It really starts that conversation in, in earnest. And I think what we're going to be able to do as NBC Universal is when we get into trials and that conversation starts, you know, in both linear digital and especially on social. From there all the way to the games, we have a constant sort of drumbeat of content, whether it's collaborations with, you know, America's Got Talent or a new show coming out that's Olympic themed. You know, these are things that we're going to have all the way from middle of June all the way to the opening ceremony on July 23rd. So what's great is that that drumbeat continues. It's almost like a daily sort of infusion of Olympic content um, and conversation and engagement to keep people interested, but also looking forward to what's to come in the games. 
right, interested but not sated, right, so that they they continue to build without, uh, yeah, with, with, with so much great content. Um, so talking then, um, you know, you talked a little about how you've been using data and how that's really helped you stay close to your consumer. Um, but this is not a new thing for you. I mean, I know that you've, you know, you've made other creative endeavours in a very creative industry that have been backed by data and inspired by data. Um, I'd love to talk a little bit about, you know, a handle that I really love on her turf, um, which was socially first. Um, it was, you know, a big sort of um, creative endeavour for, for your team. Can you talk a little bit about, you know, how you sort of started with a hunch that there was something to be done there and just what your process was, um, you know, to bring that to life and now to, you know, to a big thriving social enterprise? Absolutely. So back in the 2016 Rio Games, um, Lindsay Signor and I from the consumer engagement team, we were sort of sitting in Rio and we were watching all of these amazing female athletes, you know, Katie Ledecky and Simone Biles, Carrie Walsh Jennings, Allison Felix, you know, you name it, the women's US, you know, soccer team, women's basketball. It was incredible. And we we're sort of sitting there and we were saying, wow, the women, in fact, when you go back and look at it, have won 50% or more of the medals for Team USA in the last four Olympics, if not, I think it's since 12, since 2012 in London. And, you know, we sort of looked at each other and we said, this feels like something more than just, wow, women do well in the Olympics. Because when you think about it, there's a real opportunity around women in sports here that we didn't feel was a need state that might not have been met. But we didn't want to make the assumption without the foundation of data and information. And that's when we called Shareably and said, we have a hunch. But we actually, if you recall, we, we gave you guys the exercise broader than just women. We, we sort of said, we'd like to explore some, some white space areas in the world of social media and conversation and engagement. And we sort of threw them out to you. But, but what we did not do was we actually didn't go in um, sort of leading you guys Shaping to this us. idea. No, I, I remember that. Yeah, it was right. very so, open. You were like, it's just white space. Yep. Exactly. We, we, we came back and we were like, I don't know if this will be something that you'll go for, but gosh, we're seeing this in the data. Exactly. And that's the beauty of what happened that made us realize that we certainly and absolutely had found the perfect sort of nugget to sort of build this new business because we had the hunch. We did not lead you guys down any paths. We more gave you a general assignment. And then when you came back to us, it, I'll never forget when we opened up after you guys presented the deck and we were all sort of sitting with each other and you presented sort of, hey, there's a white space here, you guys, with women, female empowerment, and sort of this idea around being inspired by women, but more importantly, that it's just everyday women being inspired by these female athletes. And right. so essentially we took the insights and the data that you shared with us and, and we started on her turf, which is now a cross-platform, you know, linear digital social started as an Instagram account because of the idea that you also shared with us with insights that 
Instagram, obviously at the time, had a lot of female traction in the female audience. It was very, very visual, right? So that gave us that opportunity to showcase women. And so, to, you know, today we celebrate and showcase female athletes as a way to inspire women every day, both on and off the field. And it's just been amazing. It's now a thriving business within NBC Sports. And I think one of the pieces that Lindsay and I love about it the most is the amount of women within our organization that have raised their hand from different parts of the organization, production, PR, programming, and they all wanna be part of this. They want to um, work with us on it. And so we have really a huge backing um, of women that are really doing this, running this business internally at NBC Sports. And it's, it's really tremendous. That's incredible. I didn't know about that last piece. That's so wonderful to hear. Um, so what this, I guess, you know, I know you had a hunch, you had a sense, but what did that mean for you to sort of sell that through within the organization? Because I think a lot of marketers um, will happen upon great data and then go, gosh, like, how do I persuade? How do I convince? What is What was that process like for you? Because it felt like it sort of happened um, very, very easily and just ran. I'm sure there was much more to it. But yeah, anything that you learned through that process? hundred percent. And that is such an excellent question. I get that specific question around on her turf, but I also get it around the data platform um, that I was able to build at NBC Sports internally. There are so many brand marketers that reach out to me and say, gosh, we know we need it. And I know as the marketer, but I mean, there's costs, there's resources, like how do I sell this in? And so what I would tell you is this, I mean, certainly to this day, you know, Lindsay and I are still doing on her turf almost as, as a secondary job, you know, you a side to, hustle. <laughs> it is our side hustle still, still to this day. I will tell you, you, you want to be personally passionate because even the data project is a side hustle to this day, even though it's well-functioning and it's large, you have to really be invested that you're going to not only, you know, build it, but continue to give your own resources to it and lead it. And here's what you really need to think about is sort of what is the long-term opportunity that you can sell in. And really one of the best ways that you're gonna be able to sell it is to help leadership and peers understand in, the, in your business, how is this going to drive revenue? How is this going to drive some type of growth for our business? And so that's essentially what we did. We said, here are the numbers because you and Shareably shared them with us. We knew the size of the prize. And so essentially what we had to do is convince people that we could get there. But I will tell you critical on the journey was absolutely celebrating every single tiny win as it happened. Hmm. Because you can imagine over the last, you know, if we launched that in the 2018 Pyeongchang Olympics, so it has been over three years since that platform. Let's, you know, we crawl, walk, run. And there were times throughout those three years when maybe financially, you know, you're ebbing and flowing and people might be looking for areas to cut. You have to be in there on a consistent basis and saying, look at this milestone that we crossed. Look at where we were able to get to so that people continue to give you those resources, ensure that you are securing them. And it's like, it's almost like you were sort of marketing internally and just making sure that that whole journey got documented. Well, I, I became, like you said, I marketed to our own people. <laughs> you have to use your skills. 
Well, but they talk about, I mean, I've, I've, I've read a lot of studies talking about sort of the CMO becoming the connective tissue across the organisation. I think this is a great example of that, right, where it's, you know, it's above and beyond, no one's demanding it of you, but you saw this opportunity and you sort of built it like an entrepreneur inside your company. 100%. And that's absolutely the greatest way to describe it is you are building it like you're starting this in this entrepreneurial spirit. And to that end, again, it goes back to having the passion, and the willingness to do a lot of this yourself. You know, Lindsay and I, to this day, we will still actually write decks for sales or we will write proposals for comms or, you know, we have great people that are working around us, but those people have day jobs and yeah. we want to ensure that this continues to grow. And so, to your point, sometimes it means we have to be giving those pieces or sending our people out to the shoot to capture the content, um, those types of things. So I think it's ongoing, but we're so excited on the success that it's have. I don't think we've shared this with you, but we're, we're going to have a lot of great success with On Her Turf during the Olympics. So looking forward to sharing that more formally in the future. And it's just really, we, we can't, I have to take the moment to say thank you to you and your team because you are part of the origin from it. So of it. So it's really a passion project for myself and Lindsay, but, but we also have to say thank you to you because it wouldn't be here without you and your team. Oh, no. Well, I mean, thank you so much for saying that. That means so much. But I remember looking at the data and going, gosh, like it seems like women are really engaged on these other things, but they're engaging with different content. And they just said, we were like, gosh, should we present it? How will they feel about it? So, I mean, you guys just ran with it and really took that as a springboard and then just built this whole other thing. It's the absolute greatest hope whenever you're crafting a data-driven story that someone will actually actually take it and build um, and do that. So it's, uh, I mean, it's in incredibly inspiring to see what uh, those breadcrumbs kind of did and, and, and what you grew that into. Like, as you look back at your career, what do you view as the most influential decisions that sort of got you to where you are today or that prepared you for, for what you're doing today? You know, I think that I think the most important thing that I did was it might even going back to sort of your first question and and being able to say yes is that I gave myself permission to take the risks. And I will tell you earlier in my career, there were a lot of those times when that risk or what was around that corner that was an option for me. Um, you know, looked iffy, didn't look very sexy, wasn't sure if it was going to make it type of thing. And one or two of those are absolutely things that can propel your career and your personal and professional growth like nothing else. I, I was given an opportunity, you know, you know, decade plus ago to almost start similar to On Her Turf, to start like a little entrepreneurial business um, back when I was at Turner. And it was one of those things where you said to yourself, well, but I'm comfortable, I have a great job. Why would I, why would I turn left? Mm. And I'm so glad I turned left because that is one of the things today where I say, I learned so much, it taught me so much. And it's one of the things that certainly I put as the reason why I am standing here and I am in the position that I am today. And what do you think it was about whether it was your upbringing or just how you approach things? Why, why did you have the courage to turn left when it would have been so much easier just not to? Like, what, what was that inside of you? 
It is, I will tell you, it's tough. I, and you say upbringing is a great um, thing. I'm so lucky that um, I grew up actually as an amateur ski racer, which not many folks know. But what's interesting about that- Wait, sport what? I'm sorry, you can't just throw that in. Tell me more about that. You grew up as an amateur ski racer. Tell us more about that. So I actually was um, competing to try to make the Olympic team. And my I'm born and raised in Colorado. My parents put me on wooden skis when I was four. So I skied <laughs> from four to 16 at a high level. And um, it just turned out that it was one of those things where I was, I probably peaked when I was around 10, 11, 12 years old. And I was, imagine this, I was actually tiny. I'm five, nine now, but I was a little tiny five, three thing. And as you know, from downhill ski racing, like you need some weight, you know, you need some yeah, sure. you need gravity is really right? important. <laughs> um, so I think being a part of a team, but being an individual contributor or that it was part of a team, and sort of, I was out on my own, ironically, traveling as a ski racer from the age of eight. I mean, I was out on my own. My parents, I have two sisters. So my parents couldn't always leave with me and travel with me to the races. So I would go with other family friends and they would take me and you'd stay with your friends in hotel rooms. And that happened starting when I was eight and nine years old. So I do think it's that independence. I think it's that comfort. It's that sort of competitive athletic experience. But there's also a big component of being able to take risks, which I understand is very hard sometimes for people to get. And that is that self-awareness and comfort. You have to have that sort of comfort in yourself that no matter what happens, whether I pass or fail here, I'm going to be okay. And that's what I think holds a lot of people back is I don't want to go take that risk because if it doesn't work out, oh, what am I going to do? And I've always tried really hard to say to myself, if this doesn't work, then I know I'll be okay. And sort of making sure you have that very positive self-talk and, and comfort in your own skill set and your own abilities. Oh, that's incredible. It's uh, I, I think it's been put another way in things that I've listened to and read about sort of embracing the worst case scenario, accepting that you can survive it, and then sort of taking all the teeth out of the uh, the potential downside. A hundred percent, absolutely. I, I learned something new about you. That's an incredible fact, and uh, I'll I'll hunt around to see if there's any video footage of. Um, <laughs> I think that was long ago. There wasn't video <laughs> pre-massive internet digitization. So, <laughs> so you've just so you've recently um, taken on um, the entertainment brands, and you've been in sport your whole career. What is the next mountain to climb for you, personally or professionally? Because I feel like this must have been a huge transition learning all these new brands and sort of a different industry but what are you looking forward to as you look out you know perhaps beyond the olympics if you can see that far out and you know towards uh, towards the end of the year and next yeah i think the mountain to climb right now that's so exciting is just this giant entertainment world with broadcast cable and sports in it and really looking at the organization and how you can come together this is very unique no one else has this in being able to sort of harness the assets of all of these businesses and now look to innovate. So it's almost like getting a foundational understanding with the team of, okay, what do we have? How are we currently using it? And then working and unleashing and unlocking these amazing leadership team that works for me to say, okay, we have the permission to really think differently and to really look at things in a different way over the next year or two years. 
And so what is that? That's the beauty of what we have right now is the opportunity to do that, but then also to test and to learn in real time as we try things and tweak and change um, or launch ideas. That's the beauty of this is that we just have all these opportunities to be able to see, is it working or is it not working? And then if it's working, throw more against it. And if it's not working, refine and try it another way. As you, I mean, you mentioned before how critical it is for you to stay close to your viewer, who's your ultimate customer. As you, as you look, you know, out into the future, how do you see your role as chief marketing officer in sort of helping, you know, your consumer um, make their way back, you know, which is what everyone's talking about, right? Like, how do you, how do you see that? I know one part of it is to entertain so that we can just make it through, right? And we have a release valve, but I think a big part of it is also, um, you know, shepherding society back to what's, you know, back to whatever is next. How do you, how do you take on that responsibility? It is, it's so important right now with kind of what you're talking about, I term as sort of navigation and discoverability. And in today's world, I, I, it's interesting. I feel like we're going back to simplicity. You know, how do you really make things relevant for people? How do you, how do you sort of engage and intercept, but don't interrupt? You know, ensure that you're finding people at the right time, at the right place, with the right message that's accretive to their lives and what they're looking for versus, you know, here's my ad, go do what I'm telling you, you know? <laughs> And, and you're rewarded for that. And so I think it's trying to, in my role, trying to create more opportunities to understand and sort of thread together the entire consumer journey so that we can be more respectful to that journey and to those consumers and give them what they want when they want it. Right. Well, and you have so many different touch points across your apps and your website and Peacock and, you know, all of these amazing properties. I mean, it must, you know, it must be putting your other hat on such an opportunity for other marketers to reach your consumers meaningfully as you sort of bring them through their experience. Have you noticed any differences in how the marketers that you partner with are thinking about being a part of consumers' lives? Because to your point, you know, in 2020, you couldn't just interrupt the consumer as we're going through, you know, our social justice and, and COVID and everything with your ad. What, what have been some of the shifts in sort of marketer attitudes that you've noticed? I have noticed, I think we, we're really, I think, leading the charge when it comes to innovating what that intersection and that engagement looks like. How do we provide more of those authentic and relevant times when we're with consumers? And I do think what's great is I think brand marketers are then seeing that coming in, wanting to do more of that, wanting to work with us. I think that's probably one of the more important things that we do is if you're going to be a brand marketer that invests in one of our shows, for instance, and America's Got Talent or an Olympics, we want to actually create a partnership with you where we'll give you the information and the data around our Olympic segmentation. I've shared it with so many of our Olympic sponsors because I want them to have the success and the knowledge to sort of be successful themselves. And I think then they're learning how do we better sort of connect with and reach those consumers? And also how do they make the content even better? Because ultimately things like our segmentation result into creative content constructs around how to talk to different segments and be very, very relevant to them 
um, with certain content themes, etc. Yeah, and, and you have so many shows that touch different segments in exactly. unexpected ways. And um, and thank you, you did help me out by suggesting Resident Alien <laughs> because I oh, did. Yes, such a great show. <laughs> now I'm going to suggest it to anyone that's listening. <laughs> I had to get that plug because I wasn't hadn't been on my radar, and I was like, "What a spectacular, fun, you know, at a time when you want to get away, like what a wonderful opportunity for that." And you know, and there's just so many joyful touch points across that whole portfolio yes yes and and again we were rewarded for such a great show at a great time and the way the company launched it and sort of had it on different networks because the numbers are tremendous and so a lot of people came and were you know looking forward to more so incredible I could talk to you forever this was such I always love talking to you <laughs> thank you so much and I mean I, I can't wait to to you know enjoy the Olympics with um pretty much the whole world at the same time it's such an exciting time thank you so much for joining and uh and, and joining us on this series Jenny thank you so much for having me it was really fun thanks millions thank you